0: This is God's word. For us today, we need this happy new year to you, but when Psalm 32 opens with those words blessed, I wonder if you know this, we've said this before, the other way you can translate that word blessed or blessed in the scriptures is the word happy. How do you have a happy new year? The psalmist opens with saying, here's how to be happy this new year. You can imagine walking down the street, perhaps if you're going on holidays, so it's a bit weird, but we're going on holidays this afternoon, we're back next weekend for church and then we're away again for a week, it's a weird year, but that's... So we're going to my parents' farm, and you can imagine stopping at a service station, maybe I should try it out, maybe I should put my mouth where my money is, money where my mouth is, how that phrase goes... I should do what I say. And saying to someone, have a blessed new year because you can have forgiven sin. Sin's forgiven. Covered. Because we live in a world that needs to believe this. And I suspect sometimes you and I struggle to believe this too. That our sin is covered, our shame is covered, it's gone, it's forgiven. Because we live in a world that is fueled on shame. All the more. All of us have shame. All of us have something in the past that if we knew as we sang, the judge of the secrets was to knock on my door, was to come to my home, Was to have coffee with me, he would know my shame. We all have something we just wouldn't want put on the screen. We all have something we wouldn't want spread around social media. We all have something we just wouldn't want someone, even our closest friends or family, to perhaps know about because we all have things we're a bit ashamed of. And you know what our world does with shame now? Last few years, our world got a bit more broken somehow. What we do with shame is we love to shame other people. And we love to trumpet other people's shame. And we get outraged at other people. And we name and shame them. Do you think our world needs more of that? Do you? Now when I read Psalm 32 for 2023, I need this. Like I need it like breathing, need this. And how does our society address the shame that we live with? How do we address our failings and our faults and our mistakes? "This year, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better." And we start with use resolutions. So I want to talk about news resolutions a bit to start with, and and as I do that, I think there are good things about news resolutions. So I'm not the Grinch of news resolutions, right? So if you're thinking, this year, I'm going to ride to work more rather than drive, look, it's crossed my mind many times. It should move from my mind to my legs. But it's crossed my mind. Like, I literally live five minutes from this building. Probably could ride a bit more, Russ. There's good news resolutions to have in the Bible. We actually see people resolve to do things. Famously at Christmas, what does Joseph do? He hears about Mary's predicament, so he's the word is resolved to divorce her quietly. There's, there's resolutions in the Bible. What I'm talking about this morning is where we, as our society, turn resolutions or news resolutions into our form of righteousness. Where we base our life on it so that if we make mistakes, fail, or faults, we don't measure up, we pile on more resolutions. Why do we keep new resolutions? What is it about new resolutions? I mean, if you ask my family, ask Amy, I'm one of the most resolutionary people around. Like, I love resolutions. Jonathan Edwards had 70 of them to start with. He also wrote that making resolutions like that often caused him great harm because he relied upon them. You need to know your own heart. What is it about our hearts that seems to feel this need to write and form new resolutions about me being morally better this year? Well, I did some research and at Deakin University, Bob Cummins, who's a professor of psychology, did some looking into why do Australians form and keep new resolutions? Why do we do it as a society? And this is what he said. I'm quoting him. One of the fundamental, and this is not a Christian person, by the way, One of the fundamental features of human beings is this. We need to feel good about ourselves. It is a very, very strong need we have. Professor Cummins says, making a news resolution is our way of seeking forgiveness and cleansing our guilty consciences. The end of the year constitutes a kind of a secular absolution and people earnestly say to themselves and their friends and their dear ones, I am going to change. This turns them into not only a good person because they've got these good things, but it makes them feel very good because they've absolved their sins of the past year and they're not going to do these things anymore. And he said it actually can become an addiction in and of itself. If our world that's not Christian can look into the heart, we would do well to look into our hearts. Why do we do that? It's I think for the same reasons. When Jesus says to people, those who hunger for righteousness, thirst for righteousness, he's actually tapping into something that is a desire for us. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to know that we're going okay. And when it comes to God, we especially want to know, are we okay with God going into this new year? Well, Psalm 32 shows us, friends, you don't have to rely on New Year's resolutions. No, 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 the New Year is about a lifestyle of repentance. Resolutions can be a burden we can't bear, but repentance, if you can admit fault, you can admit wrong, confess your sins, and in a lifestyle of not just once, but on a daily basis and confess, I'm sorry. If you can say sorry to family members and say sorry to friends and say sorry to God, it'll actually revolutionize your life. Because I think many of the problems we have in our relationships is we just don't say sorry. We don't confess our sins. And we don't come to God with all clarity, who, by the way, is the judge of the secrets, who knows anyway. We don't be honest with him. And Psalm 32 says, friends, repentance doesn't lead to drudgery, Repentance leads to rejoicing. If you track repentance, the word repentance throughout the Bible, and look in Psalm 32, by the way, it starts with this attitude of repentance. Repentance is turning to God from your sin, turning a 180, doing a complete opposite direction. When you track repentance in the scriptures, what comes very close after repentance, and it's here in this Psalm, is rejoicing. In fact, we'll finish with shout for joy, like, yes! Like repentance leads to shouting, such joy. Because repentance is the blessed life, it's the forgiven life. Verses 1 and 2, we're just going to track through this psalm fairly quickly and see this. Notice this verse 1 and 2, Blessed is the one who is forgiven. Blessed is the person against whom God himself personally counts no iniquity, no deceit. Now why does it say no deceit? Because I look at that and I think, Verse 2, blessed is the person against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I look at my heart, I know there's been deceit. I deceive myself sometimes. But what the psalmist writes, what David writes is this, and he knows his own heart. And if you know David, David is a colossal failure at times. But David is saying this, when you are honest with yourself and you confess your sins to God and others... That is the person who says, I don't want deceit to live here. Deceit does not need to dwell in my heart. I'm going to be honest about how I'm going and who I am. I'm a sinner. And that's liberating, friends. It leads to a blessed life, a happy life. Because you know when you confess your sins to God, the assurance is you are forgiven. The Apostle Paul quotes these words in Romans 4. And in Romans 4, his case is this, in Romans, this is all about what it means to be justified by faith. Justification by faith. If you're not familiar with the word justification in Romans, it's the same word that's translated for righteousness. So it's the same word is used, the same Greek word is used for justification for righteousness. Your righteousness, if I can use some sort of made up word, you've made righteous, declared righteous, or you're justified by faith. Now, in Aussie terms, how do we do this in our society? We, we try and justify ourselves all the time. Think on many a common conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm frustrated at you because of you, because of, of I'm hot, I'm tired, and you, you did this to me, and, and I'm, I, therefore, what are you doing when you, you're, you're justifying yourself? You're justifying your anger? You're justifying perhaps your sin by giving reasons why you're allowed to be like this? You're doing justification by self. That's what you're doing. But a person that confesses their sin is open and honest has joy because they say, hey, hang on, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And my only justification, the only way I can be right is because of Jesus. Then they try and justify themselves. It's God who justifies sinners because he's righteous. He's the one who gave mercy to Abraham. He's the one that gives mercy to David. This Psalm is very closely kind of and almost looks like Psalm 51, which comes later. David writes Psalm 51 after a massive failing in his life. David knows what it is like to not find rightness in him, righteousness, justification in him, but to go, I am such a failure. It's a public failing. He abuses Bathsheba murders her husband and then out of his adultery abuse, murder and sin he covers it up it takes a preacher sent by God, Nathan the prophet to to give one of the most pointed sermon applications in the world preaches in David's court and then says you are that man and then David finally fesses up and he's absolutely, he knows he deserves death and condemnation but all he's got is not, well I I was tired and and they're all at war and I'm a king I deserve some, you know, get some credit, some, some." he doesn't do that, all he's got is to say this oh Lord forgive me of my sin have mercy on me and David is justified declared right, not because he is up because God is and David trusts in God's forgiveness his justification which is a blessed life indeed because David knows verses three and four this do you know this the exhaustion of unconfessed sin do you know this by experience have you ever had that kind of period in life where you just you haven't fessed up you haven't confessed to God You know your sin, you know your shame, you know what you thought about people or said about people, how you treated people, or perhaps you've done something you just know is just God knows and you know, but you actually haven't confessed your sin to him. Verse 3, is this your experience? When you kept silent, your bones felt like they were wasting away. You felt like you were groaning inwardly, Because you knew God knew, God knows, and His hand of gentle and gracious discipline is upon you, tapping you on the shoulder. I know, He says, I know. Why don't you just confess your sin? Come to me. Unconfessed sin is exhausting. Come to the Lord, for He is quick to forgive. Here's the bad news. If we hide our sins, God doesn't hide them. There will come a day where all comes to light. We hide our sins, God doesn't. Good news is this, though. Here's the gospel, good news. If we don't hide our sins, look at the verse. If we don't hide our sins, what does God do? He hides them. He covers them. Verse 1, our sin is covered. Verse 2, he counts no iniquity. Verse 5, come to the Lord, he is quick to forgive. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. Don't cover it so that he can. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave iniquity my sin. And we see then in verses... Six and seven, of all the people you go to in your shame, in your sin, and going into the new year this year, go quick to God. Fly fast to him. Talk to him. For he is your hiding place. And this, friends, can be reflected in our lives, by the way, for one another as a church. It can be reflected in your families. We just had Christmas, and everyone said, yeah, no, duh, Russ. I know, it was just like last week, at Christmas. What happens at Christmas is there's a whole bunch of families in our generation get these things, devices. Now, we know in our day and age, with devices in families, you've got to be very careful how they're distributed and how kids have access to them. If, you didn't, if your kids don't have devices, well, mum and dad usually do. Not many of us have a dumb phone. We've all got smartphones and kids, I need the phone, I play my game. Last week we talked about Snake. That was the Nokia game. There's a lot more out there on devices, but there's also a whole bunch of stuff on devices that we know. It's not just devices. But in our world, where our children are growing up in a generation that is different to the one I grew up in, there's not just more information for them, there's a whole lot more they can see and experience. And you've got to work out how we as parents, but also as a church, even if you're not parents of children, we say it takes a church to raise disciples, to make disciples. How are we going to help them? Is it we just never talk about it, so that when our kids fall into sin, they go, "Well, I can't talk about it because our church never talks about it, and my parents never talk about it. I can't talk about it. Someone's going to hide it." Does that help anyone? Actually, sin hidden grows. Here's what we are trying to do in our family and and in this church: honesty. See. For our kids, we worked out, it's not just when they, sorry, it's not just if they see something, it's when they see it. Because it won't just be on perhaps the devices that we have or the TV or whatever, it'll be on someone else's, it'll be, it'll be a kid at school, it'll be someone else, doesn't matter what school you're at, by the way, it'll be someone saying, look at this, look what I saw, look what my older brother showed me or my cousin or whatever else, right? It's going to come, it's not if, It's when. And when that happens, we want a culture in our family and a culture in our church that goes like this. Not that, well, I could never talk to dad about it because he's just going to get angry and go off. So I just got to hide it. What'll happen? It'll grow. It'll just absolutely grow in darkness. And they will not be able to handle it. What do they need? They need to know this. You know what? Who do I need to go to first? I go to God because he is a refuge. I go to my dad because dad knows God is my refuge. I go to mum and I go to them and I talk to them about it and they're going to love me and say things like this. You know what? Daddy's seen this stuff too. Daddy understands how weird this moment is for you, this experience. You know what? Daddy needs Jesus. You need Jesus. Let's talk to Jesus about this and let's help one another. We need a family and a whole church of that kind of culture of honesty. That we could confess our sins and not be shamed. That we could talk to one another and talk to our parents or our church, to one another here and say, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And no one's going to go, how dare you? You don't belong here. But if you can admit and confess you're struggling, they're going to say, come here for a hug. Let's pray. Let's talk to the one who is, according to Psalm 32, by the way, verse 7, you are my hiding place. You are judge of the secrets and yet you are the one who keeps me safe because as I come to you with my sin, you don't scorn me, you don't scold me, you don't shame me. You love me and you forgive me. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of scorn. Is that what it says? No, look at verse 7 and believe it. You surround me with shouts of scorn. You deliver me from the very thing I know would enslave me. Deliverance. Come to the Lord, he's quick to forgive. You can see in the scriptures, you can track this. People that don't do this, and how does it go for them? Classic case. You know, I think he writes the book because it's about him. It's I think it's a biography, it's a testimony, Jonah. What does Jonah do with his own sin? Run away from God. Get as far away from God as I can. What does he do when he's on the boat and there's a storm and it's going down and all is lost and all the pagan sailors work out he's the one that knows the living God. What does he do? Does he go, let's have a prayer meeting and come and confess my sin to God? No. He says, I've got a good idea. Throw me over so I drown. I'd rather drown than come to God. And God goes, oh, Jonah. Big fish. Safe. Safe. Now, Jonah, I need you to go and talk to Nineveh about grace. And as you go, by the way, I give grace to you. I'm the God of 77 second chances. Come to the Lord, He's quick to forgive. Verses 8 and 9. And why are we forgiven? It's not just a get out of jail card, it's not just a, whew, I didn't get. I don't have to go to hell. It's much more than that. We're not just forgiven so we escape hell. We're forgiven for life with God. We're forgiven because we get to live with the living God forever. We're forgiven to live and trust in the Lord. We're forgiven to live under his loving Lordship. Look at verse 8. God says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I need this because often I don't go the way I should go. I need God to counsel me with his eye upon me. I'm like a toddler that's got through the fence. My life often goes, I'm just like, I'm running in this direction, and I need God's word to say, actually, Russ, that's not a great way to go. God doesn't use the toddler phrase, but he uses even stronger language. Don't be like a horse or a mule that requires a bit in the mouth. So a bit in the mouth, that steel bit you put in the mouth, and you've got to Full out the directions go. are good. People listening online are going, What is going on? This is something not working with this device? But, it out, right? You've got to actually pull them out to get the direction you're going to go. That's how it works. You don't need to be like that. And God doesn't treat you like that. All we need to do is hear His word, His counsel for us, His gospel word that teaches us. Forgiven people get to live under Jesus' loving lordship, justified by faith, living by faith in him. And as we do that, and as we finish, we literally, verse 11, get to shout for joy. Verses 10 and 11 are a contrast. So the way the Psalms are written, you'll notice there's There's parallelism in the Psalms. So what happens is, as you look at each verse, you can can pick any verse, but for, for example, look at verse 10. Many of the sorrows of the wicked, parallel, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. That's a parallel of contrast. There are two ways to live. The wicked, we think, well, they get away with it. When I was a younger man, there was a song by a band called James, Getting Away With It All Messed Up. Getting Away With It All Messed Up. Getting Away With It. it was about corporations and big companies treating people like plebs and, oh, you're, you're kind of not going well at work. That's okay. You do what you do with your life. We don't care. And it seemed like the world's leaders are getting away with it all messed up. Well, I'm an old I'm a middle-aged man now, and it's still the same, isn't it? It's always been the same. We think the wicked get away with it. They actually don't. The wicked life, the life without God, without Christ, ends up being a sorrowful life. But look at the contrast. Know this. If you trust in the Lord, what have you got? In 2023, you may well have sorrow. But it's not the wicked kind of sorrow. You may well weep and grieve. We have done in 2022. But 1 Thessalonians, we see we actually grieve with hope. Because what we have is those who trust in a steadfast love. In other words, a love that will not move. Mountains may move. Your life may feel like it's crumbling around you, but his love never crumbles. Which means, verse 11... Look at this next parallel. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And this parallel is not a parallel of contrast. It's a parallel of saying the same thing in a different way. And how do you be glad? Well, why don't you just shout for joy? Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We're a church that's 10 years old in February, but we are a denomination. uh, We have a history. The Presbyterian Church has a history going back hundreds of years. And there's hundreds of years the church has worked out one of our biggest problems is we don't enjoy God. So they made a shorter catechism. Catechism means to teach. And the first one, and we said it so many times here, we highlight it. We should talk more about the rest of it. But the shorter catechism, question one, what is your chief purpose in life? It's to glorify God or glory be to Christ, glorify him and enjoy him forever. Sometimes I think our joke is it's easy for us to kind of pay lip service to the first one and just totally forget the second part. It's good for us to examine our hearts. Why aren't I enjoying God? Why don't I shout for joy? I think it's because we easily default to the resolution kind of life, the self-righteous kind of life, the justify-myself kind of life, the full-of-just-sin-in-my-heart kind of life, rather than actually the kind of life that says oh, wow, I am forgiven, I am justified, I am blessed, no matter what happens, I'm surrounded by steadfast love. There is nothing like a New Year's righteousness that is found in Christ. David writes Psalm 32, and he writes Psalm 51. He writes Psalm... One thirty, psalms of seeking righteousness in God, psalms of forgiveness. And why does he write these psalms? Look at David's life. He is a person who has totally blown it. Do you know what it's like to have totally blown it? This psalm is for those at New Year's who have totally blown it. It's a psalm also about prayer, going to God and talk to him, trusting him with your sin. And prayer doesn't begin by our impressive piety, but by humble repentance and rejoicing and reliance on Jesus. And why do we rely on Jesus? Because here's the thing about Jesus. Here is a person who never blew it. But he came and surrounded you with his steadfast love. And he who knew no sin became, he became the one judged as sinner on a cross, taking a judgment you and I deserve so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus the one who here, Jesus the one who, like Jonah, goes under the rush of great waters, but he does actually at his own death. He's overwhelmed on the cross to hide us and keep us safe from the waters of God's wrath. Jesus is the one who knows what we need most this new year. We need his righteousness. I said at the start of the service, there's a Puritan. His name is Richard Sibbs. He's called the Sweet Dropper. That's his nickname. And Richard Sibbs said this. He wrote it in a book called The Bruised Reed. in a work called The Bruised Reed, He says this, There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. We're going to sing a song now, an old hymn, but it's also a good thumping new tune type of song. Brendan and Josh are going to teach us how to sing it if you're unfamiliar with it. But it's the kind of hymn I think is best sung, and I'm going to say this, it's best sung by shouting. It's it's a hymn you shout for joy. It's written by Charles Wesley originally, and, and it has this line that's so threaded through the wonder of shouting for joy in Psalm 32, and it goes like this. And can it be that I should gain, me, an interest in the Saviour's blood? Like, died he for me, who caused his pain? For me, to him, did death pursue. And can it be? I mean, the title of the hymn is, is it possible? Really? Really? Can I believe this? Friends, this new year, let's pray we do. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, this psalm that was penned so long ago, we see so written through and pointing to Jesus. For through him we have forgiveness of our sin. We have no need to make new resolutions about our own Rightness, uprightness, righteousness to our performance because we get to now live lives and a lifestyle of repentance and rejoicing. Blessed are we who are forgiven and so we say thank you, Jesus. Father, there are many in our wider families, in our friendship circles, our neighbours, this city, our region who need to hear this good news. Perhaps it seems like they don't want to hear it today or next week, but there will be a time when this will be so needed. And so we pray that our shouts for joy this morning, our singing, would so remind us of these things this week as we hear that tune in our heads, as it, we pray get stuck there, those words, and can it be that we will be forgiven? Yes. We pray that we would believe that and we pray that others would hear it and believe it too and have a blessed new year, new life forever in Jesus' name. This is our prayer, we ask. Amen.